This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Paraswap. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Schramm, and you are watching and listening Untold Stories, where together, twice a week, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to find out how this movement really came to be, where we are right now, where we're going, what I've been really enjoying over the last 50 episodes or so uh, of this 200-plus episode show is over the last 50 episodes or so, we've been really, really diving deep into very, very highly technical subjects. But what I've been impressed with you, the listeners and my guests, is that we've been able to come out at the end of the show, um, you know, not feeling too, like, stressed out, like, what the hell, I'm so lost. We're actually getting to some good conclusions. We're understanding things, how everything kind of weaves together. Uh, today, we're going to talk about some really, really amazing subjects, mining, Bitcoin mining, altcoin mining. We're talking to a true OG today. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Before I introduce you, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Ryan, you were introduced to the crypto space uh, in late 2012, around the same time that I actually got into the space and quickly got plugged into the mining community. It's funny because when you get plugged into the mining community, that was probably the har the hardest thing to do back then. Some of your early contributions included helping launch Coin Wars in, in 2013, which was a, a, a site that allowed people to get a huge um, mining profitability. And through 2013 and 2014, a hardware um, comparison site, cloud mining service that allowed people to do customizable profit switching with 80 different altcoin mining pools. And in 2017, you joined Block and under their accelerator program or under Block Labs, I don't know if you'd call it that even, you launched Titan Industries and now became... Uh, Titan. So congratulations. You've been doing so many things. Your your involvement in this space has been immense. So thank you so much for all of that. And thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. Cool. Thank you. So, you know, I was doing I was doing a bunch of research and something struck me that I thought was kind of cool. When you go to titan.io forward slash pool, uh, one of the things that that you're offering is the Titan pool reduces jurisdictional and support issues for North American miners who previously may have entered into potentially complicated transnational agreements. That's very interesting. I've never seen that before when it comes to mining. Can you kind of get into that a little bit? Explain to me why that is so important. You'd even, that needs to be your top five features of, of the Titan pool. Yeah, one of the, the main focuses of the Titan pool from the very beginning has been to be completely transparent. So there's no backroom deals. Uh, what you see on the site is what you get. Uh, when it comes to the fee structure, um, you're paying the same fee ladder that everyone else is paying, and it's fully visible up front on the site. So you're not mining along with someone else that has a zero fee. Um, the idea of the pool was meant to be fully auditable, fully transparent. Um, everyone in the pool knows everyone else in the pool. It's, it's really trying to remove that black box uh, mechanism away from the pools that we've seen historically, especially a lot of the pools in Asia. A lot of the miners that we were engaging with here in North America were uh, under contract with pools over in Asia. And some of those miners, if they wanted to go public or they needed to be compliant in some way, found it very, very difficult because there was just so many unknowns when it came to the pool that they were mining with. You don't think, you know, when, when I'm thinking of all different industries, I, you don't think about compliance and regulation when it comes to, to Bitcoin and altcoin mining. You're thinking of machines in a data center pumping out digital tokens. What type of compliance is actually involved in something like that? 
I mean, at this point, it's still to be defined. Um, a, a lot of these companies that want to go public because they have been raising investments and they're building their facilities very quickly, they're trying to get ahead of it. At the end of the day, if Bitcoin's going to be a, a some type of a currency, if Bitcoin's going to be some type of a commodity, uh, it's going to be regulated, especially here in the states. Um, so whether miners are going to be deemed as money transmitters or they need to have some type of licensing or regulation, none of that has been defined yet. Um, but a lot of forward thinking miners are really trying to get ahead of it, especially if they want to go public. It makes sense completely. And it seems like that's the where mining is going. I just saw today or the other day, HUD 8 got listed on the NASDAQ. You guys operate that software, that miner management software that essentially you guys are are at the cutting edge, but are the market leader in that. I saw Core, Core Scientific uses you guys. How has the evolution of mining changed from, from the coin wars of 2012 when it was just websites? I remember, and I'm just, I'm trying to rack my brain where I was mining, but I remember when I was mining, I was lining, mining on, on Ozcoin, Ozcoin mm-hmm. pool out of Australia. And pools were essentially, for me back then, was I had... I had this mining, you know, hardware, um, and I needed a simple way to connect to to everything else. But what mining pools became, it allowed people to share all the rewards. How, how have you seen that evolution? Yeah, I mean, early on, it was uh, install the node on your computer, sync it from GitHub, build it, um, have some mining devices in your garage. Uh, we had a, a bunch of racks of GPUs at the time. Uh, that we were mining against Litecoin and some of the other altcoins. And it it went from solo mining, obviously, uh, when the Stratum protocol came out, it helped synchronize everything. And it just, everything moved over into a pool model. It's uh, solo mining is very, very difficult unless it's a brand new network. But, you know, originally focused on coin wars, which funny story around that launch as well. We, We were just looking at all the different ways to mine and be profitable with our hardware, just because the difficulty on the Bitcoin network was going up so high. Um, as we saw more and more pools coming along, you know, some of them got kind of gimmicky with trying to uh, gamify the pool experience to get more um, customers. But uh, I really think as we evolve in the space, uh, pools, uh, mining in general is going to be way more uh, institutionalized um, or even on an enterprise level. Um, so the evolution of the mining space and the evolution of the pool space. Um, I think we're going to see more privatized pools. Um, I don't think public pools are going to be a viable business model moving, you know, five, 10 years from now. I really think we're going to start seeing a consolidation of, you know, large hash rate producers around private pools. A lot of people um, a few years ago would point to, to Satoshi and mining pools kind of butting heads a little bit. Do you think that Satoshi almost was nervous of the idea of people kind of pooling together because it would amalgamate power in in a way? Absolutely, actually. Um, It's funny because I wrote a paper about this back in 2018 on the concept of decentralization of control. And that's actually the project we're working on right now. Um, With Titan, we have a, a new protocol coming out called Boomerin which is essentially decentralization control of hash power um, through a a smart contract network. If Satoshi were to have a problem with mining pools, it would be the idea of centralization of control. um, Yeah, especially when it comes to voting. Exactly. We see more specialized devices coming online around the world. Um, The reality is uh, anywhere in the world you find cheap electricity, uh, 
stable infrastructure and favorable government regulation, you're going to have a congregation of mining and hash power. Um, so whether that be in Texas, upstate New York, or Kazakhstan, you know, anywhere you have cheap electricity and, you know, these three elements and obviously favorable government is becoming more and more important as we yeah. saw in China uh, before we just looked at stable infrastructure and cheap electricity. Um, now, now the infrastructure bill in the U.S. was trying to get, you know, put mining into a category two in a way. But so so that hash rate will stay dispersed because global jurisdictions will compete for that. But internally, if like one country, you know, or there's 10 percent of the hash power in one place on two or three different pools, a lot of people who don't understand Bitcoin and then the larger crypto community will say, oh, that pool, that one person, this the person who's running that pool can can choose which software to run on all the machines. Is that, you know, which software of Bitcoin to run? You know, it could have been a version of Bitcoin with bigger blocks and you could see a potential fork down the road. How have we as an industry kind of gone away from that, especially now with what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, our, our goal is to build a system that has more decision makers, right? Um, and that's really at the end of the day, what is decentralization? It's having as many decision makers in a system as possible. Um, if you start, I guess, um, accruing power among uh, key nodes, so even in any network, it happened. That Remember power, a few years ago, yeah. Giga, Giga. I forget it was Giga Hash, almost got fifty-one percent of the total mining uh, uh, hash yeah. rate. But well, we saw this with uh, CX.io. We saw oh, this yeah. with uh, BTC Guild. Um, even it's on the constantly going to happen. It's going to constantly happen. And the, the key is to decentralize the decision-making process or decentralize the control of the hash rate. So we can take a facility with 100,000 devices in it, and rather than give one decision-maker control over 100,000 devices, if we can take those 100,000 devices, put them into an open market where they can be bought and sold digitally, where you can now have 100,000 different owners, to, regardless of where those devices are located, Really? That's really what we want is decentralization of the, the control of routing of hash power. And that's that's all about the, the network that we're building. So it doesn't matter who's maintaining the data center with the physical machines. If you decentralize the actual ownership of it, that further kind of like I always imagine a hammer breaking like a building of Legos. You want to constantly you do, the Legos are going to try to amalgamate and try to come back into a into something centralized. But you're constantly having to break it apart. And the Legos will all connect. Well, Legos don't have like, you know, abilities to reconnect and to think. But maybe I'm thinking of cells or whatever, microorganisms or those old, you know, you'd see movies where the Terminator kind of you break it. It's kind of crazy. You almost wonder if it was pre-thought of that this could happen. And Bitcoin and most, if not all of proof of work cryptocurrencies almost constantly incentivize decentralization. Because if anyone even has seen, and tell me if I'm wrong, if it seems even close that one pool operator, one software operator, one country or one place even gets close to it, then that the whole integrity of the system is at stake and could collapse well, and become near worth zero. Maybe not the, the whole integrity, because keep in mind, even at 51%, it still is takes a good amount of time, especially on the Bitcoin network, to try to do an attack. Um, and at that point, everyone's flags are raised, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's not as easy as people think, but the optics of it is what's important. And that's why we see self-regulation. We see, you know, like historically, we saw BTC Guild self-regulate and actually scale down their operations. 
um, we see time and time again that members That's of the community crazy. realize the optics are very, very important. So even if, if they're approaching a, a large majority of the hash rate, they'll self-regulate. Now, what does that meeting look like? Do they sit in a boardroom and say, guys, we're getting too big? When you, like, how does that, do you break up the company? I can't, like, th this needs yeah. to be a paper in and of itself. Oh, you know, I, I think we probably have good history in Bitcoin talk of, you know, yeah. all the different uh, posts of these, these pools getting flamed for getting too big. Um, if, if, if anyone remembers like early on in the community, and I mean, I felt like I was late to the party coming in late 2012 because Bitcoin talk had already exploded mm. and there were so many different channels and so many different things going on, but the, the community was a little hostile. If you remember, if like, if you posted something that was crap, if you, you know, I was always the afraid community, of the community, even my first yeah. post, I was scared and the community was <laughs> 10 people. The, the community yep. was. But the ethos, because you know what it was? I always felt that the ethos was like, hey, we know this is amazing. And if we have to convince you, it's almost like that stupid Satoshi line where it's like, I don't have time to explain it to you. Where he's talking to Dan Larimer. You know, I don't have time to explain to you. If you don't get it, then I'm not, you know, I'm not going to bother. So here we have like Satoshi saying that. So it's not the hostility of it, but the fact that that Bitcoin was invented a year before and all the cypherpunk mailing list, you know, kind of turned it down and said, you're an idiot. This is stupid. You know, and then we had to like kind of have our own little community on forums. That was what created that. Like we have to, we're in our own corner. Leave us alone. We'll leave you alone. Almost mentality. Yeah. I miss those but days I, though. Don't you? I, I do. I think it weeded out a lot of scam artists early on. Um, the people that made it through, you know, 2012, 2013, it was kind of like trial by fire. And the people that actually had successful projects coming out of 2013, 2014, they, they built some of the most incredible companies that we see in the industry today. A lot of those companies are actually uh, some of the altcoins that you're that that we're mining, that you're mining. I'm mining um, projects that uh, are existing today. A lot of them were founded in those early years. I mean, even we talk about Ethereum um, and you guys now work with 80 plus. Did I read that correctly? Or no, that was um, so, that's that, what we worked that on before. Our... Yeah, when we launched Coin Wars, um, so funny story around that was there's an old calculator game called Drug Wars. I don't know if you've ever played that. I remember that. that. Like I remember that. Oh, yeah. So, wow. You're so, bringing back memories. Jeez. Yeah. So we used to play that on like the TI-83s. Yeah. And, and there was this this concept of you're like moving between cities, you're uh, buying low, selling high. Yes. And we were looking at the exchanges and we were looking at Mt. Gox, we were looking at Verkerex, we were looking at BTCE, and there was such a huge difference in the price. So we were thinking, oh, well, if we could arbitrage against these different exchanges, and if we could gamify this, we should call it coin wars uh, instead of drug wars. We're you know, basically buying on Mt. Gox, selling on Verkerex, and, and we're going to put this gamification layer on top of it. And I remember I played this I, on my I, Palm Pilot. I played it on my Palm Pilot. That's what I played it yeah. on, I think. So, so this was like kind of the beginning of the idea. So we started building this like console style uh, UI on top of it. And then Dope Kyle, was, yeah. my, my buddy, started uh, writing all the exchange tie-ins and calculations around which coins that we should, would, we should purchase. Um, at the same time, we were building our mining rigs, and he started using those same calculations to start calculating profitability of what we should mine and when we should mine it. 
Um, and it kind of came together of, hey, you know, these are good calculations. It's telling us, you know, how to be the most profitable with our mining rigs. We should just publish it to Coin Wars. And that's how the profitability calculator got launched was Kyle took all these original calculations that were supposed to be for this uh, arbitrage game. And we just we launched Coin Wars and it, it blew up really, really fast within by the end of 2013. We were getting millions of visits a month. Um, and then that's actually spun into the 80 different mining pools because we started quickly realizing that a lot of these coins were really profitable to mine, but there was no stable pool to mine against. So that's when we started launching profit switching pools. I tried launching a project called poolx.com to do a very similar thing back in, in 2000 with my friends Jason and his brother Eric. It was probably 2015 or something like that. Um, okay. It didn't take off because I was a little hard-headed and didn't believe in the future viability of altcoins, stupidly. Um, a lot of these projects, I didn't, I, I was still very much like, and it's not, at the end of the day, like I have to separate my own personal uh, morality on decentralization and belief with the ability to like be a capitalist and make money now. And then what can actually like someone, I, I remember asking someone like, do aliens exist? And his answer was, it's kind of selfish to think that aliens don't exist, isn't it? And I'm like, oh shit, you're right. Like just because I'm here doesn't mean there's nothing out there. So it's like, I had to kind of place the same views on top of crypto. It's like, it's almost selfish to believe that, that, that Bitcoin is the only one. And I still believe that, but at the same time, uh, as the community grows and as these things grow, there are a lot of different blockchains and a lot of different coins that can do a lot of different things. Do you, have you, expanded your view on that as well you know I, I i expanded for a while then i contracted now i'm expanding mm. again um you know in, in i get jaded 2000 too. yeah in 2013 we saw so many crap coins coming on i mean we had everything from bill murray coin to ron paul coin cosby coin cosby i mean everything you name it and there was a coin for it right um so we got really defensive right so when we saw new coins coming online like factum we saw new uh models coming online like ethereum and we were very very defensive about it because it was just same. like wait another one another one really like we've we've been through this cambrian explosion it was the same crap over and over and over again um but then i think ethereum and a few of the other projects that came out in 2014 2015 really broke the mold and they started showing that there's this new functionality that could be added into these de decentralized ecosystems and were very very useful um i think 2017 compounded on that where we yeah, we saw thousands and thousands of new projects coming into the space. You know, every, everything from like people trying to pitch me decentralized uh, augmented reality. And I'm like, wait, what? It doesn't make any sense. Denticoin. Um, yeah, we have 2% increase in the dental industry. And you have a dental token. You had a... Exactly. Exactly. There's a guy doing was, a car was, wash coin. There was the yeah. uh, There was the coin for the, for the car auto dealership. Mechanic shop coin. Oh, my God. Yeah. These people had so, booths at conferences. Everything, right? And and it, it was it was a cash grab because literally, if you you come up with a cool name and a cool graphic for your coin, someone was going to buy it. And as soon as someone buy it and it hits an exchange, you cash out. And it was the same. It was the same pump and dump model that we saw in 2013. Um, but mixed in there were some incredible pieces of technology, and that's the hard part: is weeding through all the garbage to find the gems and. You know, we, we do see a lot of amazing tech that came out of 2016, 2017, 
that are now like getting launched uh, into the community, you know, three years later. And now we're, we're seeing, uh, you know, things like Polkadot. Um, we're seeing like Cardano come into fruition. We're seeing Cosmos. Um, a, Cosmos, exactly. Like I remember seeing Cosmos uh, talking to the guys back in 2018. They were flip-flopping like for company. years. Yeah, they were trying to figure yeah. out what they're doing for years. Yeah. So, you know, a, a lot of really smart minds are building a lot of really cool stuff. Um, I think there just needs to be a maturity coming into the industry uh, in the near future around organization. Um, you know, that's that's really what it comes down to is we have a lot of really cool projects, but most people don't know what they do or what yeah. to use them for. And we're going to start seeing coins and uh, these different decentralized networks falling into categories. Um, and there's going to be more and more layers of organization and also automation around switching between them uh, based on needs. What type of technology is being seen as crap now because of the companies and the projects that are doing it? But in a year or two, we're going to see that technology be the de facto like killer applications, kind of like the examples you gave now. 2017, we saw so much crap. But all the technology, if you invested in just the technology of 2017, you'd be killing it right now. All those projects, coins, tokens, those are the companies that are going public, actually, on traditional markets. What technology yeah. now are you seeing? Oh, that, that's that's a hard one because yeah. a lot a lot of stuff we're seeing now we're not really seeing a whole lot of new stuff we're seeing um, different renditions of the things that people came up with in 2018. But obviously we we see a lot of NFTs in the space. We see a ton of DeFi, right? Um, yeah, a lot of fact, DeFi. We are we are rolling through DeFi uh, in almost a haphazard way where you know we're building these giant ecosystems and then all of a sudden one will get hacked and we'll see hundreds of millions of dollars uh leak out of it and yeah. we're like oh well i guess we shouldn't build things like that um but you know what isn't that the same thing as rooting out the scams and the bitcoin talk days because that money that 600 million dollars it stays in crypto it goes to the hackers they're now returning some of it and then that money can't leave crypto so it gets pushed into other coins and tokens inflates their market caps so maybe they can use that money for things like Yes, it's a it's a very negative thing. However, I'm kind of looking at it the same way you looked at it as we yeah, those hacks and scams of 2013 got us to where we are today. So we almost need them to happen now. It's it's helping harden the community. The hard part is as we move forward in the industry, the stakes get higher and higher. The optics too. Right, and the optics exactly. Can you imagine if Coinbase like I'm not even going to say that, but as, if we had another Mt. Gox, yeah. right? If we had another situation like that, um, even five years from now, um, each as we progress in the industry, like you said, the optics get uh, higher and higher stakes. So um, one hack, one downed exchange, one crashed, uh, you know, contract where someone goes in and hits delete and deletes, you know, a hundred million dollars. Um, it it just it it's. Uh, yeah, you think we'd get used to it by now. No, you're but... right. And I completely agree. We have to be critical, you know, and you're you're kind of bringing me into into a question that I never really thought about. But um, we're talking about all these years and going into a timeline next year. If I have my numbers correctly, you're going to be celebrating your 10 years, a decade in in Bitcoin, in this whole industry. That is something that you're going to reflect on. You're going to maybe take some time off and think about it. How will you? Have you thought about it? Are you happy with where we are today as an industry, as Bitcoin, as a community, as people? 
That's a great question. Um, time off. That would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, right. You need to. I did it. I took a few months yeah. thinking about the last 10 years because I celebrated my 10 years a few months ago. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, there's so many cool things to be built. There's so many uh, bridges, roads, and tunnels that still have not been completed yet. You know, um, we keep building on top of the different layers. And sometimes uh, when we do that, we we ignore the the underlying infrastructure of these networks. And that's, it, it's funny. So with, with the Lumeran network and what we're focused on with the hash rate routing, we'll, we'll tell people about the project. We'll show people the routing infrastructure and the protocol that we're building. And they sit there and scratch their heads and, and think, wow, I, I totally forgot about mining. I totally forgot about the underlying, you know, thing that actually makes Bitcoin work. You know, for me, I, I think if I were to sit and you know take a couple of months off and reflect, it's it's going to be really taking a hard look at the underlying infrastructure behind these networks and thinking, you know, are, are we scaling correctly? You know, yeah, we have layer twos, we have you know Lightning Network growing, we have all these different you know aspects of these different networks um, scaling, but are we are we ready for that? Are, do we have the underlying infrastructure? Do we have the underlying controls in place to make sure the stuff scales out in a healthy way? The biggest problem with DeFi today as we know it is there are simply no aggregators or way to bring all of this information and data together so we can trade off of it. We're going to Uniswap and we're clicking sell, 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 or buy, buy, buy. I mean, imagine staying up till two o'clock in the morning just so you can make a trade. The folks at Paraswap, my newest sponsor, are doing exactly that they are the fastest and most liquid aggregator on the ethereum blockchain they've built a state-of-the-art algorithm that aggregates all the major decentralized exchanges in order to beat the market price they are willing to offer you on your first swap a 50 percent gas refund check it out in the show notes i mean there's no reason not to use power swap it's the same thing as using any of these other sites but you're getting a better price zero slippage better swap safer faster more secure uh what's what's the downside there is none that i could think of and you're getting your first swap 50 percent gas fees paid for it solves every problem that i could think of make sure you check them out they're my sponsors i love them and i love them even more that they're pushing crypto forward and we didn't even touch on uh bitcoin mining counterbalancing the renewables grid <laughs> i know i know and, and and that's such a that's such an interesting topic to to get into and maybe we want to touch on it for a second but how is that happening and why traditionally was there an issue with like rebalancing energy grids yeah it's i mean th this can go down the rabbit hole pretty fast i, I spoke on this at bitcoin miami um, essentially, what people don't realize about uh, electricity grids is they have to stay balanced. So production always has to equal load. Um, if load goes up, production has to go up. If production drops, uh, then you're going to have blackouts. If production is too high and load is too low, you're going to have blackouts. Why? Um, um, so on the here in the U.S., um, our electricity uh, oscillates at 60 hertz, right? So if we have a, a fault tolerance of about 0 0.05 hertz, if we generate too much electricity on the grid, then the frequency that is oscillating on the, the wires um, goes higher. If we generate not enough electricity, then the frequency drops. They can't just um, now, have a, a valve that maintains that continuity no matter what's happening on the other side of it? Stupid question, right? No, it, it's well, it's up to the grid operators okay. to basically balance, balance load and production, right? The only time you're using electricity is when you have a device turned on. And electricity only gets created when you have a load. You can't just have standing electricity on a wire. It's, 
you know, it's uh, it's the flow so of the crypto, electricity that makes it electricity. Bitcoin has become like a battery for for temporary storing electricity. So here, here's the kicker is when you start moving into renewables, right? And you have wind turbines and you have uh, solar panels, right? Um, you can't stop the sun from shining on the solar panel and, and generating electricity. I mean, there are like shutter mechanisms. There's ways of doing like shade and that type of stuff, but it's just, it's not cost efficient at scale. So when you have, say, like a city like Palm Springs that has a huge amount of solar electricity, well, in the winter, when Palm Springs isn't running their AC units, but they built out a huge amount of solar, all that electricity has to go somewhere because the solar panels are producing electricity, whether it's being you know, you used in Palm Springs the panels, or not. You can't cover the panals or something, or it's like stupid. At, at scale, you it doesn't work. At scale, it just doesn't work. It costs too much money. So yeah. we actually had a we had a point in uh, California back in 2016 where we actually had to pay Arizona to take electricity off our grid because we were producing so much electricity on the California grid and we couldn't ramp it down because it was coming from renewables. And that's that's the biggest problem is you can't do real-time load oh. balancing with renewable energy. Um, but what you can do is you can do real-time load balancing with mining. So the proposed uh, model is you build renewable energy at scale. So you have 100%... Uh, you, you can produce 100% renewable energy for 100% of your load at peak season. So in the middle of the summer, uh, in Palm Springs, when everyone's running the AC units, you build enough solar panels to cover all of that electricity need. Now in winter, when all those solar panels now are not needed, you're going to have a huge amount of excess electricity. Well, if we only knew of an And it needs to be used at use the source up. too. That's another point, right? You can't just like transfer that en- that electricity on pipe somewhere to another place that needs it, right? Now there there is there is um, long range transmission, but that's why we have those high voltage lines, you know, going uh, to areas of the country. But it's not that far. You okay. know, you can go to the you can go to a neighboring state, but but you lose like upwards of thirty percent of your electricity when you're transferring it that far. Wow, I so, didn't know that. I thought I literally assume like most people assume like you can make electricity in Alaska and bring it down here to Florida. It's not. It's not like that's not a pipeline. It's it's uh, it's an oscillating current. So there is a lot of loss. Um, so that that's the other thing is using it at the source is huge. So you know if we go back to our Palm Springs example in the middle of winter, if we build a mining facility to counterbalance that renewables grid. Um, now in the in the winter, we can basically mine cryptocurrency when all that excess electricity is not being used by the power grid, um, and we can basically store it up. Wow. And now in in the summer, now we actually have value uh, that we could sell back to the grid or purchase electricity from a neighboring state. It's completely changing the game. I don't know how they would have done it before. Wow. Well, um, that that's that's the that's the. That's the statement actually to focus on is they couldn't do it before. Couldn't do it before. And, and the California state legislature actually says by, I believe it's 2035, the state has to be on 100% renewable energy. Well, currently, there's no possible way that they're going to achieve that unless they take a hard look at something like crypto mining. That's crazy. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, that's a whole nother side. I was at that conference, Bitcoin Miami, too. It was a lot of fun. Next year is going to be great, too. We need events like that to to keep us yeah. fun. 
the fear is that as we get bigger and more, you know, value gets locked in to all of these blockchains, making those change, making the changes is going to be hard. The Bitcoin optics and the crypto optics have like merged. You know, you see an article, it'll be always Bitcoin crypto. It'll be like, but the optics have merged. Bitcoin infrastructure is great, hasn't changed much in a negative way, slow, positive growth and change. The amount of new users that we're adding, I just saw a chart yesterday, the amount of new Bitcoin is adding millions of new users, the Bitcoin network. It's adding more users in three months than it added in all of 2013 and 2014 combined. So those optics and infrastructure look good. What about these altcoins like that are still throwing shit at the wall to see what breaks, see what works, see what doesn't, but they're doing it with like billions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, I was, I went to my cousin's wedding uh, a couple months ago and you know, someone asked me what I did. I said, you know, I, I worked with, you know, cryptocurrency and blockchain, right? <laughs> First question was, what do you think about Dogecoin, yeah. right? And when when Dogecoin becomes more popular in, you know, just general pop culture than the predecessors of like Bitcoin or Litecoin or Ethereum, um, because that's the one they've heard of. For me, it kind of, uh, it brought me back to the base of, this is a community driven thing. You know, uh, we are only going to be as strong as the community backing these projects. And that that's the beauty of a peer to peer wow. decentralized network, right? Um, why has Dogecoin done so well? Because if you remember 2013, they were the most fanatical, annoying community ever. Oh my God. And, and there were only the two only... crypto subreddits our Bitcoin yeah. and our Dogecoin. That's it. There was no cryptocurrency, yeah. nothing. It was Bitcoin and Dogecoin. People don't realize the yeah. largest communities ever. No, you're right. Yeah. The NASCAR, and, the, that car, they did it first in, yes, in seven years yeah. ago. Yeah, and we all thought they were crazy. But the reality is, is we're only going to be as strong as the community that we build. That's why and I do this if show. We want, if we want the community to be fun, we want the community to be lighthearted, we want the community to be goofy, uh, then you're going to have something like Dogecoin, which people, is it's endearing. People want to get behind it. Um, if you want something more corporate and you know more systematic it's going to be like the ethereum community it's really the the project is going to take on the tone of the community that's backing it but it's a fine line it's like it's like the guy who surfs in the morning but he's in the boardroom in the afternoon it's where's the line between being kids and being community and not kids but being playful and and yeah. not being super hostile and and building and growing and being strong but we have to put on those suits and the great scales of the world you know, doing God's work for us, being in those boring, you know, board meetings, which I, I don't want to be in. I don't know. I, I, I'm sure you have to be in a lot of those meetings, but I like wearing flip flops. I like being sitting on an exercise you, ball. You know what? I, I think shorts. The, the, cool, the coolest thing about what we're doing in blockchain and cryptocurrency is it's really brought back the spotlight to we're all fucking humans. And I apologize for you know, yeah. saying that, but you know, we're all we're all humans. And and at the end of the day, this is a choose your own adventure. We get to live in the world that we create. All right. And I don't want to live in the world that a bunch of other people have actually predefined and say, this is what society is. This is, you know, the suits in the boardroom. And this is what you have to do. You have to take off your flip flops and go sit in this boardroom. No, like, let's create stuff. Let's recreate the system in the world that we want to live in. Uh, you know, yeah, we inherited hundreds of years of traditional banking. But guess what? We just yeah. disrupted that in the last 10. So that's kind of crazy you know, when you think about it. It it did. It know, just it disrupted. Yeah. You know, and it's like, yes, we can respect the traditions of the past. We can respect the governments that are, you know, currently here. But at the same time, like we get to define what this world is.
you know, we're all on a level playing field here. You know, I'm, I'm no better than the guy next to me. Um, in fact, he's, he's probably a lot smarter and better than me in a lot of areas of life. And I can respect that. But at the end of the day, we get to pull together as humans and we get to build cool stuff. And if anyone wants to limit our voice, if anyone wants to limit, you know, what we can do in this world, then I would point it out and say, that's evil. Um, I completely agree. So this is, this is the liberty and sovereignty of being human. And, and we get to define this. And this is what is excites me about blockchain is we've started building something in a technology ecosystem that, you know, even if a government tries to stand up and try to crush it, as we've seen some governments try to do, even as early as 2013, trying to outlaw uh, crypto, it's, we, we built something that's beyond borders. I grew up in a very like religious community. And in that community, the belief is that you have to impose your religious will on other people to, to save them. You know, you have damnation. And then that, unfortunately, ethos has like followed through. I've used this word ethos so many freaking times in this episode today. I don't know why. I need to think of a, of a better word. But the ethos of that has gone through everything where humankind, we feel like we can, you know, if we're better, if we believe what we believe is better or how we believe or anything of that, then we should force it on. You know, so, you know, go back to how England was founded. Unfortunately, it wasn't founded on a place of multi, you know, multi-pluralism or multiple religions. It was founded on a place where you had multiple religions and then Christianity kind of came in and said, it's better. And I'm not trying to use that as a specific example. My religion, Judaism did the same thing. All religions do that. All communities and governments and people, we all believe that. And when I was leaving that community, I didn't like that ethnocentrism. I didn't like that, like, you're first class and everyone else is second. I didn't believe that because I believe what you believe. And when I went to my first, it wasn't even a Bitcoin conference. It was a libertarian convention in New Hampshire. I remember meeting someone and he said to me, I remember saying, like, but how are we going to force people to use the Bitcoin system and not the traditional system? But what word did I use? I used force. He said, Charlie, you're looking at it all wrong. We're going to build a better one. We're going to transcend it. And people are going to voluntarily come to ours. And that's a better way. Yeah. Brilliant. So good. And I try to follow my personal life ethos every single day by this. Yeah. No, that's great. And I mean, or they're going to copy it and they're going to iterate on it and they're going to create their own system around it. And that's okay too. And that's, you know, I know people like want to, you know, hate on, you know, Dogecoin and some of the other altcoins. But at the end of the day, it's, they have their own thing going and there, there's a place for it. I started paying my boys out in Dogecoin early on for doing chores. Oh, wow. I set them up like their own wallets um, that actually turned into their college fund. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. Um, That's so cool. I mean, That's awesome. But, but at the time, like Dogecoin was, wasn't worth anything. And it was, I mean, it was, it was so cheap and it would transact so fast. It just made sense to do it for like, you know, doing it for chores. But yeah, at, at the end of the day, like, you know, that that's what I would think about going back to your original question. If I took some time off, you know, really thinking through this, like um, I, I love, you know, what Dan Larimer is doing with uh, the, the new governance stuff he's focused on. And that's really like a lot of people in the space that have been in the space for a while. When, you know, when, when I asked, yeah, them, he's you know, launching a new, them. Aren't, isn't he launching a new exchange bullish? Is he part of that? The, I'm not sure about bullish. I know about Open Eden um, okay. that he's been working on. And, you know, a lot of the people in the space that I will talk to that have been in for a while, 
a lot of them are very focused on governance, uh, like moving forward, because that's, I think, time and time again, that's kind of what it's come back down to is when you have a huge community of peer-to-peer networks, um, how do you properly enforce governance or how do you let people have equal voice or equal say um, where you don't have these, you know, super nodes, uh, you know, taking control of a network. Um, so that, that that's what's really interesting is is moving forward. I think we're going to see a lot of breakthroughs in, in governance and once again underlying infrastructure uh, for these networks. Growing up, my dad would invest in stocks, and he would get in the mail, um, like every few months, like the quarterly reports, and he'd have to make votes, you know, proxy votes. Mm-hmm. Is that where we're going with DAOs and governance, and and where if you own a token, you'll get that where you need to vote on the future of the company. But in, in terms where it's not like your vote goes to a board, it's like, it's a smart contract in a way. I mean, maybe. It's um, cool. It's cool shit. You know, what, what about uh, having a traditional board seat in a company that's actually a DAO where, uh, you know, in order to get that board seat in a traditional company uh, to vote on something, it actually goes out to the voting members of a DAO. It's very powerful. Traditional companies. It's yeah. very powerful. Because it actually brings together public and private partnerships in a way where I was talking to, to a mayor of Jackson, Tennessee on the show just the other day, Mayor Scott Conger. And he said he's actually trying to mine Bitcoin in City Hall, but not for why you and I think. He believes that in the future, Bitcoin miners will be ultimate in terms of having a seat at the table. He wants mm-hmm. Jackson, Tennessee to have a seat at the table. He'll be able to have a vote on behalf of the city in whatever future, you know, system, financial system we have. He wants to be a part of that, to have that foresight. And his granddad was mayor, his dad was mayor, and now he's mayor. It's kind of crazy foresight to look at it, but that's what you're saying. You have this public company with like five board seats. Four of the board seats are like people, the old school finance, but that could, the other fifth board seat could be like DAO, DAO, you know, Digital Autonomous, Decentralized Autonomous Organization, LLC out of Wyoming. And there's already legalities to do that now. So you have a distributed, decentralized whole organization could be 10, a thousand or hundreds of thousands of people. And that is the board seat in this traditional company. It's freaking crazy. I know Um, it's scary. (laughs) We'll we'll see people pushing the boundaries and we'll, we'll see things like that happening. Um, that's really fascinating that you actually have a municipality wanting to get into mining. Oh yeah. Um, I'm going to connect and, you with him. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. And, you know, with Titan and the focus of, you know, the, the protocol that we're building has, has always been, you know, just like if you wanted to run a website, you know, you could either get a server and you could throw it in your garage and you could, you know, run the actual servers and your yeah. website out of your house. Or you could just set up an AWS account. Well, we don't quite have that virtualization around mining um, yet. And that's what we're really pushing to build is anyone that wants to get involved mining doesn't have to have that uh, sophisticated level of hardware sitting in their facility. But how are you different from from cloud mining then? Because it seemed like that's where the industry was going. Like, oh, you can mine from your base, from your house and, you know, your computer or whatever. The the difference between cloud mining and the protocol that we're building is cloud mining can happen on our protocol. The difference is cloud mining and hash rate tokens, as we see them today, are very passive products. You buy the rights to the output, but you don't actually control the hash rate. Um, oh. So you're just you're just getting the Bitcoin. Because we're building an actual peer-to-peer proxy routing protocol, 
when you purchase the hash rate through our protocol, you actually control the hash rate. So it's actually opening a socket from the the local mining facility. And it's actually routing the hash rate real time to your endpoint. So when you buy the cloud mining contract through our protocol, you actually receive the hash rate. You don't just receive the outcome of the hash rate. And I can choose to where to point that hash rate on any proof of work. Yep. Now, what about script or SHA-256 or different uh, consensus algos that still use mining? Can I point that hash rate to that? Within the same algorithm family. So, uh, but it's it's really coin agnostic because at this at the end of the day, we're just routing TCP/IP sockets. So, you know, whether it be a Litecoin miner or an Ethereum miner, or you know, currently Ethereum miner, um, it 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 doesn't matter. If you buy the hash rate, then you control the hash rate. What's the current cost for hash rate? um, Just a range. yeah, it, well, it's it's completely linked to profitability. So okay, good answer. Right. Yeah. So um, at any given moment, you look at the difficulty of the network and the exchange rate for that token, and that's what the the hash rate will cost you. Um, now, the interesting thing is, if you're you're mining script, there's a ton of script coins out there that could jostle for profitability at a given moment. So it could be Litecoin, it could be Dogecoin. So you, yeah, they got you to be switching. Exactly. So so someone could buy you know script hashing power and know of a random script network that they're going to get better profitability for. So they're going to buy that script hashing power to premium. At the end of the day, what it means is better profitability for the miners. And that's really where we see this going is miners are creating hash rate as a commodity and they'll sell it to the highest bidder, whether it be a pool, a network, or a financial institution. Is there a place in someone's portfolio for this, meaning that traditionally it's been buy tokens, buy coins, buy stocks, keep them in a different types of portfolios, stay away from mining because it only works at scale. Someone's looking at like $100,000 and they fully believe in the long-term viability of Bitcoin specifically. No, or some of these altcoins or just crypto in general. Are you looking at the regular, not regular, but like my listener, is that your customer? Or are you talking about people, you know, large institutions at scale that need to come in with millions of dollars? Um, both. It, at the end of the day, it, it's going to be an open protocol, peer-to-peer network. So if my mom wants to load it on her computer and purchase hash rate, she can. If Fidelity wants to buy a huge stake in a mining facility in the middle of Texas, they can. And it's all going to happen through the same peer-to-peer protocol. It, it doesn't play favors. It's really going to go to the highest bidder. Um, it's really opening up to true decentralized peer-to-peer market dynamics on hash rate. You know, if we if we kind of like bring it all together, is is hash rate proof of work? Is it really the only counterbalance or way a, a cryptocurrency can succeed? Or do you think that proof of stake and some of these other consensus algorithms have a viable shot? You know, I I don't want to put put all my eggs in one basket and say, oh, it's definitely proof of work. It's definitely proof of stake. Um, at the end of the day, they're both viable models. I think that's been proven on various networks. Um, I think their distribution model is is very, very different. Um, proof of stake is kind of like uh, to those that have will get more. And proof of work is um, you can start with nothing and start getting something. So I, I think the distribution model around proof of stake and proof of work are very, very different um, they do build very, very different mm. types of communities. If you notice, uh, most proof of work networks historically were like way more technical, low level communities, 
I'm starting with kind of the hardware geeks that were yes. you know play, playing with the hardware in the garage, right? So I, I feel like the networks have built very, very different communities. But at the end of the day, like the viability of the networks, you know, I, I think there's a place for both of it. And I, I'm I'm encouraged that a Bitcoin will most likely always be proof of work and kind of be that large backbone of uh, almost uh, the whole a, industry, everything. Yeah, exa- exactly. Whole, People don't realize value, that everything right? is backed by Bitcoin. Half of the stable yep. coins, half of the altcoin like that you that we it's just all Bitcoin yep. is that backbone. Where, where can my listeners follow up with you more on this? Because I could already tell that they're going to be very excited to learn more. So Titan.io. Um, we have the white paper listed. It's under the Titan network currently. We're going to be doing an official launch and announcement of it uh, in the next couple of weeks. But you can go on Titan.io. You can see the white paper. Um, you can read about what we're building and why we're building it. This is so cool. Ryan Condren, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on Untold Stories. Charlie, it was, it was great. Thanks for having me.